legacy season uh, is kind of where we go at the end of every year. We kind of turn the corner uh, in our church calendar. If you've been around here for any length of time, you know that we uh, we plan. Matter of fact, I'm already planning my preaching calendar for for next year for 2020. So I go to God uh, very early and ask, you know, where would you like me to take this church? Our team is consistently praying, talking, asking, planning. How can we lead, uh, you know, spirit-led, but still very prepared to sort of take you on a journey? And every year around October, at some point, we kind of push pause on our normal preaching series. So I normally preach in three or four week increments we call series where I take one topic and we'll sort of dive deep for three or four weeks into that. And we just sort of focus our attention on others. We focus our attention on what we have done and what we could do together. And we do that because it's kind of a natural thing that happens in October. Like you look back over your year, Brandy and I are doing this in our home, look back over your year and think, what have we done? You know, have, what have we accomplished? What were our goals or how, how are we doing? What are we praying about believing God for for next year? What are we, you know, in our in our home and our family and in our church? And and I kind of look back on the progress that I've made. Does anybody else have, have that kind of introspective time around the end of the year? I do that every year. Like, for instance, I started this year uh, trying to lose 10 pounds. And uh, my doctor wanted me to lose a lot more, but she's an overachiever, whatever. And so uh, I, 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 that was the goal that I had. And I'm proud to tell you in mid-October, I'm only 20 pounds away. Amen, everybody. So next year, I'm praying about losing 20 pounds on the way, on the way in. And, and we do this personally, but, but I think it's good for us as a church to kind of push pause and, and really look back over what God's done through us and what God could do through us. As a matter of fact, if you're taking notes, and I hope that you are, I want to title this message, See What God Could Do Through You. What God Could Do Through You. And we start with the idea of leaving a legacy. Now, one of the things that we do that I think is the best thing we do all year long, our teams have been preparing and praying. They're working, like literally, I'm not just telling you, they're really working hard to make this the best series we've ever put on. It's called At the Movies, and you saw that promo in uh, the church news piece. At the Movies kicks off. Sunday, November the 10th, two weeks away, everybody, from the biggest and best series we do all year long. Now, if you've never been to At The Movies, let me explain it to you. We take blockbuster films that you know and, and you love, and we extract biblical truths out of those films. So we'll play clips from the movie, enough so that you kind of get, we, our editors actually work so that you get kind of the whole, you know, the gist of the whole movie in these small bursts and clips. And in between those, I uh, preach spiritual and biblical truths using the redemptive message of the movies. And it's just the best time because there are people who will come to a movie who won't come to church all year long. Like there are people who will say yes to that invitation that may not say an invitation when I'm doing four weeks on hell. Come on, somebody. But they, but they will. <laughs> I've never done four weeks on hell. I don't, I don't I'm, that's never going to happen, but, but they'll come to the movies. And, and I love this series for that. As a matter of fact, in your cup holder, our team's already put in there. Reach in there again. There is a stack of invitations they bundled for you. Thank you to our interns for doing that. They, but yeah, 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 yeah. They bundled those up for you in bundles of five. And the reason why 
is because you got five work days this week where I want you actively engaged in bringing people to church. As a matter of fact, here's my ask, that at least two of the four Sundays of At The Movies, that you'll have somebody in church with you sitting right beside you who's far from God. And, and, and people ask me all the time, you know, Pastor, what, what's your favorite season? What, what do your favorite do? And, or that was my favorite season, or that was my favorite series you've ever done. And, and, you're, and it's very kind, and I'm very thankful for that. But let me tell you your favorite day in church. Your favorite day in church this year is going to be the day that you have somebody that you love, a neighbor, a friend, a coworker, a family member who's far from God, or, or who's just struggling in their faith, and they agree to come to church with you and sit right beside you. Your favorite day in church will be the day that at the invitation you sort of watch and pray. You know what that means? You kind of you got one eye closed praying, the other one's watching. You know what I'm saying? Like you're watching them, and as I give the gospel invitation, their hand goes up and they give their hearts to Jesus, tears on their cheek. That will be by far your favorite day in church all year long. And I'm giving you permission on those two Sundays. When you got somebody far from God, you just you be praying, but you be watching and see what God could do through you at At The Movies. Are you ready for that, everybody? Say amen to that. I love this church focusing our attention that way. And the reason we do that is really foundational. And if you're new today, I want you to sort of give me latitude because I know you're just kicking the tires on a brand new church, but I've been pastoring this church for three years now since we started. And so I need to be able to pastor this church just a little bit today. And I just, I'm inviting you along for that journey, but I hope that you hear my heart through that. The reason we do that is really foundational to what we believe about church. And if you've been around here very long, you've heard me say this before, but write this in your notes. We believe the church doesn't exist for us. We believe we are the church and we exist for the world. Let me get a better amen than that. The church doesn't exist for us. As a matter of fact, I grew up believing it did. I grew up, I came to church to kind of get my blessing. Where's all my churchy people at on that? You know what I'm talking about? Like, I came to kind of get refilled, and I, we had Sunday night church in my church, and it wasn't like another option, it was another service, you know what I'm saying? And the choir, and robes, and sweat, and I still got a little bit of that in me, which is why I preach with a towel, come on everybody, like, that's just, that's where I was raised, and I really believed that, church, honestly, I spent all of my childhood, probably into my early 20s, believing church was about me. I like to sing the songs I like, the messages that I like, it's, the lights were like I like, the sound was like I like, the, 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 you know, everything was, to, it was for me, it was for me to get what I needed, and the biggest change in my ministry happened early in my 20s when I realized church wasn't for me. And some of you today, it's blowing your mind because you thought church was for you. And there are great churches built around ministering just to people who are already here. I, I'm, not, I, I'm not angry at them. I'm not telling you they're wrong and real right. I'm just giving you the vision of this church. At this church, we believe you can have a mighty move of God in a movie theater that smells like butter and popcorn and hot dogs. Come on, everybody. Like, we don't think the church is about building and seats and stuff. We think we are the church, and we've got a mission to accomplish in this world. Shout amen to that. And in light of that, every October, we kind of turn the, the corner and say, what if we could focus the rest of our year on others? I, I, I want you to get... 
I, I want you to get fed here. I don't want you to misunderstand me. We, 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 we build weekend services that Christians are encouraged and fed. But I, I want you to be more than fed. I want you to be equipped and empowered to do what God's called you to do. Let me say it this way. If I get you to December as your pastor and all you've got is fat and full on God's word and you never put it into practice doing what God called you to do, I failed you. That's not being the church. That's going to church. We've gone to church long enough. The world is waiting for you and I to be who God's called us to be. Shout amen to that. That's the truth whether you believe it or not. That I've heard enough preaching in my life to change the world because church is it's not for me I'm the church you're the church and we exist for the world around us and what could we do together and what could God do through us and so we take a, a moment every year and sort of pause and go am I really living my life in this legacy mindset that God wants to do something through me and this church has great vision. As a matter of fact, I tell you often, we have more vision than we'll ever have resources for. So our vision will always outpace our resources because we got a lot of lost people. I read a statistic last week that 1.7 million people in San Antonio Metro don't identify as Christian. 1.7, and you thought you lived in the South and everybody was going to heaven from Texas. Come on, somebody. 1.7 million people say, I don't, we don't, I don't have a vibrant, active faith. And it's our mission to change that in Jesus' name. It's our we got to do something about that. i, I got to convince you today, and some of you it looks like it's going to be a hard battle. i got to convince you that God's called you to do something through you, not just something to you. That Jesus didn't just die for you to go to heaven. He died so you could tell everybody on your block about Jesus. He died so everybody in your office could go to heaven. How many of y'all work with sinners? I know some of y'all do. Come on, people that need to go to heaven. Some of my neighbors going to hell. You don't understand what I'm telling y'all. They need Jesus. <laughs> and like, I want you to get on mission with your life. And so today's message, unapologetically, and next week, Vision Sunday at City Hills, I'm going to do my best to sort of stir that gift of God inside of you to live a life beyond this life you say well pastor how do I do it like what what's the plan that God I'd love to get involved in that I said well no well you don't have to know because I think God has the same plan for everybody matter of fact I think since the beginning of time God's had one plan you'll see it first in Exodus the sixth chapter when Moses delivers he goes and it's Passover and he takes the children of Israel out of Bondage, 400 years of captivity to the Egyptians. And the Bible said God gives Moses this thing to tell these 2 million plus Jews who have been in captivity. He said, I want to I take you out of Egypt and then I want to free you from being slaves to them. I want to I I I take you out of Egypt and I want to free you from being slaves. Because you can be out of Egypt and still have Egypt in you. I want to take you out and I want to free you from being slaves. And then I want to redeem you with outstretched hand and with mighty acts. And then I want you to be my people and I'll be your God. And all throughout the Bible, the first time I see it is Exodus 6, but it's everywhere else. It's the Great Commission. It's all throughout the New Testament. I think there's a spiritual journey that God has for every person, even you. We say it like this. We try to make it in language where you understand. We think God's plan for your life is that you know God. 
not know about God. So if you've been coming to this church for three years and all you are is learning about the God of the Bible, I failed you as a pastor and we failed you as a church. I don't want to raise an army of theologians. I want to raise an army of people in love with Jesus. <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't care if you know Greek and Hebrew. I want you to know what Jesus can do in your life and through your life. I don't want you to know about God in your head. I want you to know God in your heart. As a matter of fact, I think there's a wave in Christianity. I'm excited that we're on the front lines of it. Where God is, is moving in churches that maybe have used that cerebral kind of approach to that it's all head knowledge and they're, and they're getting involved in their hearts. There's a passionate move of God. Listen, this church, if it will ever be anything, it's going to involve and include and introduce you to the, to the manifest presence of a living God, that God's presence can change everything. Are you still awake? And that you should know that God, that you can have a vibrant relationship with Him, that you can have a life-giving relationship, that you're not doing it for religion, that you have a relationship, that, that you know the living God lives inside of you, that you know God. And it's not enough to just know God. He said, I'll take you out of Egypt, but I want to free you from being slaves to them. We call that finding freedom, where you settle your yesterdays. Ephesians has a great passage I'll preach to you next week, where he says, I, I want you to make your eyes clear so that you can see. He doesn't mean your natural eyes. He means the eyes of your heart. How do you make your eyes clear? Well, you got to settle the hurt, the pain, the scratches of yesterday. And once you find freedom from your yesterdays, then I think the best part of Christianity happens when you learn that you were put on this planet on purpose with a purpose. We call that discovering your purpose. Matter of fact, our growth track is designed just two simple steps every single month on the first and second Sunday to help you discover the purpose God has for your life, that God gave you gifts, talents, experiences. He gave you things, the good, the bad, the ugly. Everything in your life has pointed you for something to do with your life so that you could live what I think is the highest level of living. As a matter of fact, psychology calls it the highest level of living. There's, there's these base levels of the need for shelter and the need for you know, clothing and water and the need for love. But the highest level in psychology of living is what psychologists call transcendence. It's where your life lives beyond your life. It's where your life makes a difference. And I think the best part of Christianity, matter of fact, I think the reason why we have armies, millions of Christians who are saved but aren't full of joy is because they've never connected that God saved me so that He could use me to make a difference in this world. That your joy is made complete. Oh, I'm preaching. I'm already preaching next week's better than I thought I would. That your, that your joy is made complete, the Bible said, when you make a difference with your life. And this is a make a difference kind of season. This is a legacy season. I didn't put it on the screen, but would you write it in your notes? To leave a legacy is to live a life where my life lives on. Would you write that down? That legacy is where my life lives on. Not where my money lives on. Not where the ranch passes down to my kids and grandkids. Not, not, to just where, not to just where I leave stock options for my... Nothing wrong with any of that stuff. I want you to have all that in place. But I really want you to leave a legacy where your life lives on. Where people look back on your life and think, man, our family tree changed because that person sold out to Jesus. 
Our family tree completely changed. They broke the generational curse of anger and alcoholism or bitterness or, 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 or negativity. They broke it off of their lives. They embraced, they chose joy, and it changed our whole family. They decided something. They left a legacy where my life lives on. And I want you to be a people of legacy where your life matters more than just this life where you live in light of eternity, where you live with an eternal focus. And, and I know we've spent the last 10 months, kind of, and, I, and I hope you felt it, equipping you and empowering you and training you and teaching you. We've had many God encounters over the last 10 months. But i got to focus your attention now to what could God do through us together. What if we lived our whole lives thinking of legacy, thinking about making a difference? David would write what I think is one of the best legacy verses in all of the Bible in Psalms 112 and 5. And it says this, Good will come to him who is two sides to this legacy coin, generous and lends freely. That's one side, generous living. How many of you know we live in a self-centered, selfie-centered kind of world? Are you with me on that? That it's about me, for me, through me, by me, for whatever I want. And God says, I'm going to flip the script on all of that. If you want to live a legacy life, you're going to have to learn generosity in, with your life. So I'm, I'm generous and lend freely. And the second side of the same coin is that you live in such a way. You conduct your affairs with justice. Surely he will never be shaken. Now, now look into my eyes and don't look at the screen. That is my hope for you as your pastor. Most people drop the ball of faith when the world is shaking. What if you could be a people who aren't shaken when everything is shaking? What if you could be people of faith that know God is for me, even when everything around me is shaking? If the economy goes south, whatever happens in the elections, doesn't really. if I lose my job, if I get the health uh, uh, report that I want or that I don't want, it, whatever, if we lose it all, whatever, when everything is shaking around me, I am not shaken in the shaking. That's what I want for your life. That's what God wants for your life. And... If you'll live this kind of legacy life, you'll be remembered forever. That's where your life lives on, where, where, where legacy really happens. Two, two things that David says here, write these down in your notes. If you want to live that legacy life, there's two sides to the same coin. You've got to learn how to give to something. It's giving to something that will outlive me. That's generosity. Giving to something that will outlive me. Maybe it's your time or your abilities or your resources or your talents. Whatever it is, you realize that everything I have comes from God, so I'm going to give to something. I'm going to be intentional about my giving of myself so that I can leverage that thing God gave me for all of eternity, for others, for a legacy. I can't, Listen, you cannot take it with you, but the Bible says you can send it on ahead i got to preach it different to you. The Bible says it like this. Store up for yourself treasures in heaven. That's sending it on ahead. Did you know you could live in such a generous way that you'll store up treasures there? You can't take it all with you, but you can send it ahead. That you could live your legacy life generous, giving to something that will outlive me. But the other side to that coin is equally as important to the psalmist in 112. You've got to learn how to live your life 
living so my life outlives me. He said, I want you to be generous and lend freely. And then I want you to conduct your affairs with justice. It's, it's giving and living. It's giving and living. It's, 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 what, do I give what God's given to me? And do I live in such a way that outlives me? The goal on earth, listen, isn't to live here forever. It's to leave something that does. And in a culture that tells you to get and accumulate and more and stuff, and in a season around the holidays that tells you you're less than if you don't have as much as, I'm coming right in the beginning of this season to stop you and remind you, you were not created for this world. You were created for that world. That your life could live on beyond this world. That there's more to this life than this life. And I think it's why you and I exist. And let me teach it to you about the last days. Now, this is not an end time kind of message. I'm not really an end time kind of preacher. Mainly because I don't understand. So don't ask me. But, but I do think, somebody asked me recently, Pastor, are we in the last days? And, and listen, I know what they're asking. And, and, and my answer is probably yes. I think Jesus is coming back sooner than he's ever. I think we're closer than we've ever been. Say amen to that. So I don't know if these are the last days, but I think these are my last days. And I think they're yours. You say, that sounds morbid, Pastor. Are we all dying? Yeah. We're all dying. And the Bible said, after it's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. Let me pause here and just remind you. If something bad's happening in your life, it's not the judgment of God. As long as you're still living, it isn't judgment. Because the Bible said it's appointing unto man once to die, and then the judgment. So God's not judging you while you're still alive. There's hope for you. Shout amen to that, everybody. That's good news. So after you die... There's judgment. But there's not one judgment. Most people don't know this. There's actually two. There's a two-pronged judgment there. I want to teach both of these to you. Stick around for a little theology, and then, and then, and then we'll wrap it all up and pray. All right, everybody? There's, there's, there's two judgments there. And Paul wrote about it in the book of Romans. Romans, he's writing to this church in Rome that has a disagreement. They're judging one another. They, it's full of judgmentalism. Y'all have probably never seen a church like that. But Paul had to deal with that in the church in Rome. And so they're, they're pointing their finger about, did you see what girl was wearing? I cannot believe she in here on this Sunday acting like she... And, and they're, just, they're pointing their finger at everybody and, and what they're doing wrong and worried about their lives. And Paul has to write, he's, he's an apostle, he has to write this apostolic letter kind of correcting this judgmentalism, which, by the way, I think is pretty important for Christians today. And he says it like this in Romans 14. Why do you judge your brother or sister? And why do you treat them with contempt? Because you have the same fate they do. We all stand before God's judgment seat. It's written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will, that's the first judgment, by the way, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. That's the first judgment. Then there's the second judgment that Paul is, there's some theology in this Romans here, where he says, so then each of us will give an account about what I've done with my life. There's this, everybody goes 
to the first judgment. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. There's, there's the first judgment where it's, eternity is decided in that. But then there's a second judgment. There's a second question that you're asked. Let me give you those two questions. Write these down. Number one, that first judgment that every living soul will have to answer is, what did you do with Jesus? What did you do with Jesus? What did you do with the only perfect person who's ever lived, who lived a sinless life and gave himself the blameless, sinless son of the living God who died, was buried, and rose again so that you could live forever? What did you do with Jesus? Everybody's got to answer that. By the way, that's why we play blockbuster movies every November so that we can reach people who haven't answered that question yet in Jesus' name. Say amen to that. I know it doesn't seem spiritual to you, but this is the most important question every living soul will ever answer. What would you do with Jesus? It's called the great white throne judgment. Look at this, Revelation 20. Then I saw, John says, then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from His presence. There was no place for them. And I saw every single person who's ever lived. The dead, great, small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. I'll get back to the books in a minute. And then another book was opened, which is what the great white throne judgment is. The book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done that are recorded in those books. What did you do with Jesus? Now let me give you the wrong answers to the question, what did you do with Jesus? The wrong answers are, I went to church. The wrong answer is, I sang songs about Jesus, even Kanye West songs. Some of y'all know, ask somebody else if you don't know. The wrong wrong answer is, I read a book about Jesus. The wrong answer is, I believe that Jesus could do anything. I believe he was a good teacher. I believe he was a prophet. Those are all great things, but they're the wrong answer to the question. The biggest misconception that people have is that the first judgment is about what I do. It's not about what you do. The first judgment to decide heaven or hell, eternity for your life, is who do you know? Not what did you do. Who do you know? Let let me prove it to you. Jesus is teaching in Matthew 7. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. Many will say to me on that day at that great white throne, We we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We performed many miracles in your name. And then I'll tell them plainly, This is why I'm on a mission against religion. Because religion says do. But relationship says, no, I never knew you. The answer to the question, what did you do with Jesus, has to be, I knew him personally. That's the answer God the Father is looking for. I knew him personally. I knew him personally. Listen to me. My deepest prayer for you, for your neighbors, for your kids, for your spouse, for your, for your co-workers, for the people on your block, for the people in San Antonio, the people in Leon Springs, in Fair Oaks Ranch, in Bernie, in Bulverde, in, in Pipe Creek, in Holotus, in Comfort, in Kerrville, in Spring Branch. My deepest prayer for the people in the hill country in San Antonio is not that they know about God, it's that they know God. That you know Him personally. That you may know how deep, 
How wide is the love of God? That you know Him personally. It's not about what you do in the first judgment. It's about who you know. But there's a second question. And that's what i got to give you for the next 15 minutes. Because if you answer the first question correctly, there's a second judgment. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. Most believers don't understand the difference. The great white throne, every living soul who's ever lived on this planet will bow their knee to the the powerful name of Jesus and they'll answer the question, what would you do with Jesus? But if you answered it, I knew him personally and that's my hope for you. Then there's a second question. There's a second judgment. And this is the question. Write this in your notes. What did you do? with what I gave you. So Jesus tells a parable about a master who leaves his talents, his his money with his servants. And when he comes back, he does not ask them, did we know each other, have a relationship? It's it's an illustration of uh, of this judgment seat of Christ. He comes back and says, what did you do with what I put in your hands? What did you do with what I gave you? The the, the judgment seat of Christ is a reward judgment. Look at this in 2 Corinthians. We all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. There it is. That each one, now now this is crazy. I had never seen this until I started studying for this in this season that I preach to you every year. That he may receive what is due him. Hang on just a second. Are you saying God is going to pay me back? I'm telling you, God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. That's what the Bible said. And He's coming, Jesus said that He's coming with His rewards and His angels. He's coming to reward them that you may receive what is due Him for the things that you did. What did you do with what I gave you? And my job as your pastor every year is to prepare you to answer the first question. And I've spent 10 months trying to get you to answer it. I knew him personally. And before I leave today, I'll give you a chance to answer. I knew him personally. But what i got to get these Christians in this church and in this city, what, I, what I'm on a mission, what I believe God's calling on my life is to ask you, what are you doing with what he gave you? Like, what are you doing with the talents that you have, the gifts that you have? God wants to do something through you. God wants to do something. And listen, God has an expectation of a return on His investment in you. He's invested, oh God, I feel like preaching. I didn't preach this in first service. He's invested in you talents. He's invested in you gifts. He's invested, you thought you were put in that family by accident. No, 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 no. He put you in that family. You say, well then why did my father leave? So he could teach you how to be a father to the fatherless. That's why. He put every experience inside of, why did we lose our child? So that you could minister to other families who've lost children. Why did I have to live through hell? So that when somebody else goes through hell, you can tell them God's on the way. God's going to make a way. I invested the pain and the struggle and the ups and the downs. I invested it in you. What did you do with what I gave you? Did you waste your pain? Did you waste your gifts? Did you spend your life accumulating for you and not living for eternity? What would you do with what I gave you? And i got to turn your attention as a church this October 
to leaving a legacy, to living your life so that your life lives on. Jesus is excited about the judgment seat of Christ. He says it like this in Matthew 16, For the Son of Man is going to come in His Father's glory with His angels, and then He will reward each person according to what you did with what you were given. So the right answer to the question, what did you do with Jesus, is I knew Him personally. And the right answer to the question, what did you do with what I gave you, is I gave my life away. Jesus, what you gave me, I gave to others. For God so loved the world that He... And what I give to you is that I'm giving to others. I gave all of my life, and I, I want you to live your life. So I got five minutes to try to convince you to live with eternity in mind. Let me give you some actionable steps. You're going to have to live intentionally. I, I'm just focusing you on, again, I'm, I know this is a little pastoral, but I, I got to do it every year because God's going to blow our mind by the people that get saved this November. I'm telling you, this Christmas season, God's going to radically change your whole family, people in your block. It's going to be amazing what Jesus does. But I got to get you focused on eternity and not just here and now. I got to kind of shake you out of this whole year. I've been talking to you. Now I got to get you activated to do something for God, see what God could do through you. Here's the first thing. If you want to live, Live this legacy life, you got to decide, I will intentionally give what I have. God has uniquely blessed you so that you could be a blessing to others. Let me say it this way. God never gives you anything just for you. He gives you something so He can use you and do something through you. And most of Christianity is built on what Jesus can do to you and for you. And I'm asking you to ask, what could God do through me? I'll intentionally give what I have. I'll give. I'll invest. I'll use what God's given me. I'll leverage every gift that I have. I'll leverage my gifts, my talents, my income, my resources. I'll leverage it all for the sake of eternity. Because I can't take it with me, but I can send it on ahead of me. I can live my life in such a way. 2 Corinthians says it like this. Paul would write, you've been made rich in every way. Don't, don't read the word rich, because I know when you see that, you think Aubrey. I'm not talking about rich like Aubrey. I'm talking... It's a joke. He works for a church. He's broke. Well, that's not me. I'm not rich. Listen to me. Don't read rich like you think rich. Read blessed. I've been blessed in every way so that I can be generous on every occasion. God didn't give you that job just for you. He gave it so you could be generous to others. And you're going to have to, if you want to live this legacy life, you're going to have to intentionally give so that the world sees your generosity and they look to God. The Bible says it, that they see your good works and they glorify your Father which is in heaven. Do you know you and I have a chance to give so generously that we can change the world and point people to Jesus. You say, how do I do it? Tell me how to do it. I'll give you two quick ways. Number one, become a percentage giver. I, and, 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 and this is about tithing, in case you're wondering. <laughs> tithing is the first 10% of everything that I own. 
I teach you about tithing. Matter of fact, several months ago, I played you a very special message from Pastor Robert Morris just on the principle of first. Probably, the, I think he's anointed by God to preach about tithing more than anybody on the planet right now. And, and I talked about it. And here's what God told me. Listen, I'm being honest with you. I prayed and said, God, how could I convince people the blessing of tithing? And I felt like the word from God for me was, they aren't stingy, they're strapped. I don't think you're stingy. I really don't. When you get God, you get a giver. So God is generous, so when you get God, you get generosity. I don't think you're stingy. I think you're strapped. Matter of fact, next year I'm going to help equip us so that we can free up. We're not a slave to what we borrow, the Bible said, but we can be generous in every way. I'm going to teach us how to do that. I want to walk us through that because I don't think you're stingy. So if you can't tithe in a full 10%, here's my ask. Pick a percentage and get faithful. Do you know that God blesses your direction, not your perfection? Get a percentage and get faithful. If it's 5% of your income, get, get a percentage and get faithful. And build yourself to the tithe. Well, God won't bless that if it's not. God blesses your heart's direction. Pick a percentage and get faithful. Are you still awake? Say amen. Here's the second way you can give generously. It's what we call the legacy offering. It happens every December. Matter of fact, it's six weeks from today. And on the legacy offering day on December the 8th, every single year we bring a generous offering above and beyond our normal tithing. Above and beyond. Brandy and I are already praying about how can we, we tithe every single week to this church. We have since before the church started. That's, I, that belongs to God. The tithe is the Lord. It's holy to the Lord. But above and beyond that, we pray for God, what would you want us to do generously so that we can keep this mindset of what could we do together? What could we do to change the world? Our trustees right now are already vetting missions opportunities, local, national, international missions opportunities. One of my favorite things we get to do every December is we get to write checks on your behalf, and we blow missionaries' minds when we say, our church was so generous we were able to just bless the fire out of you this December. I love it. We're able to take on whole projects. We're able to do whole outreaches during the holiday season to missions partners locally, nationally, and we're going to bless church planters this December that are planting life-giving churches in January. We're going to help them complete their budget in Jesus' name. We're going to do everything we can to give away and that like we're going to give to something intentionally. But listen close and this is where this is what I got to tell you. This year I'm asking you as your pastor, let's bring a generous legacy offering so that we can begin the process of buying our first permanent home in Jesus name. What could we do together? What can we do together? You say, where's it going to be, Pastor? I don't know. I've got to be honest with you. I'm not hiding from you. You can ask our trustees and elders. I'm not hiding. I don't know. We're vetting every opportunity. We had meetings last week. We have meetings tomorrow. Vetting every opportunity we can find. We're vetting raw land. We're vetting buildings. If you've got a shed, come on, somebody. Your grandpa gave you. Holler at somebody. <laughs> I've actually prayed for churches that are declining. 
You know, I've prayed that churches that, that would close their doors and sell to somebody else or some restaurant move in. I said, God, open their eyes. What if they had a building and no people and we've got people and no building? What could God do through us to breathe life back into that congregation so their legacy doesn't die? We can keep the doors open to their church. You say, that's crazy, is it? That's legacy living. What could God do through us? What if we could build a dream center where hurting people could find help from addiction? What if we could build a place for single moms and for those who are broken? What if, what if we could build a recovery center for addicts who've tried everything else but Jesus? What if we could build a place to care for widows? What if we could do something together that leaves a legacy? So I'm not asking you for a certain amount. I never have. I'm just asking you to ask God. And whatever God tells you to do, just do that. Like 100% of us, like all of us in, could change the world. I'll, I'll, I'll intentionally give from what God's given me. Are you still there? Say amen. Come play, Henry. Here's the second thing I'm going to ask you to do. I'll intentionally serve others. If you want to live this legacy life, I'm calling you to a service. I'm calling this church to start living beyond yourself. Listen, November's coming. At the movies is coming. It's the biggest crowds we have. We probably should have added a third service. I, I'm going to be honest. like, I know you. You're going to bring your friends and family. We're going to do everything we can as a church to promote it. But you're going to be filling your vehicles up. You're going to be filling your cars up every Sunday bringing people. We need you to serve other people. Matter of fact, this today, I'm asking for 20 families in this church to volunteer in kids' ministry. Join the kids' dream team. There's nothing you could do with your life that means more than raising next generation leaders in Jesus' name. There's nothing you could do. Listen, I'm, I'm not trying to be... I'm just being honest. I told the Lord if we never plant another campus, if we don't build a big building with stained glass, and, but if we raise a whole army in that theater right there, the one next door to it, if we raise a whole army, if there are church planters in that room, if there are missionaries in that room, if there are musicians and worship pastors and kids pastors, and if there are people that God wants to bless in the marketplace so that they could be generous givers and further the kingdom of God, the most important thing you and I do may not be what we do. It may be somebody we raise. What could God do through you? Somebody had to be Billy Graham's Sunday school teacher. Somebody had, to somebody had to raise Dwight Moody. Somebody had, to, somebody had to invest in them. What could God do through you? Intentionally serve us. It's just, it's just high-fiving. It's just passing out popcorn and Cokes. No, 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 no. You're making a way so that God could reach others. Like yesterday, like our dream team who showed up at, at a little festival we do in Bernie. I know all of you don't live in Bernie, but there's a Halloween festival called Bernie Boo. Don't argue about Halloween because there were thousands of young families there and our dream team showed up and we gave away 
thousands of pieces of candy and Cokes and water and popcorn and at the movies invites. Why did we waste all that money? We didn't waste anything. We're reaching for people. And we got to live a legacy. God didn't call us to a church. He called us to a city. I don't pastor this church. I pastor San Antonio. I'm responsible for the gospel being preached. For lives being changed. You're responsible to leave a legacy. To intentionally share Christ. To intentionally serve other people. To intentionally live your life. Get on the dream team. Go through growth track next week. Jesus says it like this. Whoever wants to become great, come on, in Matthew, He says, you got to be a servant. That's what I want you to do. Jesus didn't come to be served. He came to serve. I'll intentionally serve others. Here's the last thing. Write this down and we'll pray. I want you to intentionally be a giver. Think about, pray about, talk to your spouse about the legacy offering. I want you to intentionally serve this fall. Get on the growth track. Stop by Next Steps today. Say, count me in. I'm one of the family. I'm, I'm, I'm going to reach into the next generation. We'll join the kids team. We'll, we'll, we'll do whatever God's called us to do. We'll serve coffee. We'll show up early. We'll tear down. We'll do whatever it is. Needs. Come on, we'll do anything, everything, and nothing in Jesus' name to serve people who need hope and healing. Here's the last thing. I'm asking you to live this legacy life. I'll share Christ intentionally with every person in my life. That's why I put those invite cards in your, in your cup holder. Because I want you to intentionally share the hope that you have. If you had the cure for cancer and you kept it to yourself, what kind of terrible person would that be? If you, if you had the cure to help somebody who was suffering, who was, who, who was broken, who, who lived day in and day out with a vicious disease, who was ravaging their whole life, and you knew how to help, you didn't tell anybody. What kind of person is that? The truth of the matter is your neighbor, your coworker sits across the hallway, your family. Your spouse, an aunt, a cousin, somebody who's far from God. There's this disease ravaging their life and all they're waiting for is an invitation just to live my life on purpose. We are Christ's ambassadors, 2 Corinthians says. We are Christ's ambassadors and God wants to use you to bring people to Him. Now let me give you the last thing and then we'll pray. What, why? why? Like why live this kind of legacy life, Pastor? What's this all about? Like why would I give generously in the legacy offering? And why, 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 why would I serve and join the dream team? And why would I invite and share and bring people to church with me? Why do, why do you want to focus my life so much on, on others and, and turning the corner? Why, why, why can't church be about me? Write this down. Because there is more to this life than this life. There's more than money and houses and ranches and cars. What do you want to be known for? On your 80th, 90th birthday, 100th birthday, what do you want to be known for? I want you to be legacy people. I want you to be people who make a difference with your life. And I'm inviting you in this season. I'm inviting you in to leave 
a legacy. In Jesus' name.